Niños en el arco, la defensa es colosal González, Orlando, La Torre, Nicolás Fuentes y Chumpitas Chalemí, Frin y Cubillas y el gran Perico León Bailón y Alberto Gallardo completan la selección Welcome back to the Peru Walk Podcast I'm your host Brian Birdie and I'm joining here from Lima, Peru It's actually getting quite cold here, unfortunately. I feel it's really windy, and probably not a good idea for me to wear shorts. Which I am right now. It's kind of cold here, but probably not as cold as where Peter is right now, who actually had to suffer through his cold in the Concacaf final, although that was two weeks ago. How are you, Peter? Yes, I am good. It's actually getting warmer here now. Finally, it's starting to feel like May for for once. Uh, it's what seventeen degrees, eighteen degrees outside. Um, for those of you in the U.S., I have no idea what that is in Fahrenheit. I, I do want to say, since I'm in the South, it feels really cold here. Same when I was in New Zealand, but I never understood how the Patagonia and Chile and Argentina, how it doesn't even get close to as cold as Canada, which just makes no sense to me. Uh, I, I could understand if it doesn't get as cold as, say, Nunavut or the Northern Territories or Alaska, but somewhere like Ontario, it, it shouldn't be as cold. It, it just makes no sense to me. I'm just rambling now. So, Christopher, uh, how, how are you? It looks like you're finally back at your home. Am I correct? Yes, I'm finally back home. Had a chill day today. I am wearing my this year's official uh, Sport Boys kit, obviously. No, this is not a plug for Sport Boys. They did not pay me, but it, it looks pretty good. And I really wanted to show it off because I, I recently got it. And for those of you that don't speak uh, the language of America, that's about 65 degrees Fahrenheit, the weather in Canada right now, which is about the same weather that we're having here, too. Let's let's begin. Let, let, let us begin here. So... What is the the equivalent of watching Fifty Shades of Grey in football? Watching Regar Silaso play. It is, oh, it is gosh. It is the equivalent. Oh, you just suffer through it if you're a Peruvian. You just suffer through it. I was originally going to try and like split them up into an Alianza Lima and Regar Silaso talk uh, this week. But I think we're just going to focus on Garcilaso this week because it's just been shambolic. It's, um, basically, you can put everything we said in the last few pods and put it here. Except this time they're playing in altitude and they're they're still not getting points. It's uh, I'll let you start, Peter. Why don't, why don't you start with your thoughts on this match? I I did a rant on Tavares Silva on the site the other day, which wasn't the direct rant, but kind of was. It was a tactical analysis, and I'll get off that in a second. But Peter, I'll let you start this topic. What do you make of Ragarcilaso today against Nacional or Nacional Estudiantes? I, I can't even remember. That's how forgettable that match was. Well, frankly, it was basically the same thing, except just without the goals. Um, let's be honest. Um, if you didn't watch the game today, you could pretty much just read Brian's tactical analysis, and most of the same points would still be valid from this game. Um, I mean, again, we're probably going to end up sounding like broken records here when we talk about Alianza as well as Garcilaso, but in terms of the actual game today, um, I'm also probably going to mention the same points you will mention, Brian, but um, I mean, the dis- defense is still very disorganized. I think that's a stigma of not really having a clear plan, so to say, or just have no real communication, which is something else that's lacking in that back line. I mean, you know, Juan Otero should have probably had at least a couple of goals. He was absolutely sensational. That entire Estudiantes team was actually quite good. And despite the fact they lined up in a 5-4-1, they still basically outchanced Garcilaso. I think they only had one shot on target. That didn't come until the 52nd minute, which is absolutely shambolic considering you're at home in Cusco in the altitude and you're being outplayed by Estudiantes. That's not a good sign. Um, 
and I guess just to kind of wrap it up with a bow here, Davide Silva has basically hit control Z on all of Oscar Ibanez's work. It's like he basically just, all right, I'm going to undo all this, undo all this, and just change it completely, and it's not worked out at all. Um, among some of the baffling decisions, Brian, you tweeted it, uh, Ivan Santillan should not be a winger. He should be a fullback for the reasons that you mentioned in that he is much better when he is doing those overlapping runs, when he has space to run into. Um, why Julio Landauri isn't starting, I have no idea. Um, Ramua is nowhere near as consistent as he was, and they are now winless in five straight games. And you want to give Silva the benefit of the doubt and some leeway, but it's been nine matches since he took over, and there's been very little progress, if any. In fact, you could probably even argue they've regressed quite a bit. One one other laughable decision was... um. Kind of similar to what happened with Real Madrid versus Bayern when they took off James for Javi Martinez. I don't understand why they put on Conto Johnny's for Archimbaldo. Archimbaldo is the, the most dynamic midfielder. So if you want to go, you're chasing a goal. You got to keep him on. You don't put a defender on who's purely defensive and it's not really an attacking fullback like Conto Janis is. So I didn't get that. And Garcia Sola, just like, it, it's, it's, they're one of the worst teams in Peru at the moment. Never mind the Libertadores. It just, it, it, it's been really, really bad. I Well, first of all, I just wanted to talk about Tavares Silva. He's kind of come in after uh say so wrong, Isaac Oscar Ibanez. And now it's kind of a tough situation for them because now it, I, I if they sack Tavares Silva, they'll have they'll be completely correct. That, that will, it will be, be com- the completely correct decision. We'll get on to that in a second. But the problem is if you sack him, who's going to want to work for Silva? So you already have the problem with Ibanez. You might get similar uh, similar people who think of the same old Tavares Silva, but I think Tavares Silva warrants the sack because there's no progress going on, there's no process, and they're not getting results on top of that. At least Ivan's got home wins. I mean, at least he won at home. Now they're not even doing that, especially against teams they should be doing it. I, I'm not going to say they should have been done against Sport One Kyle, for example, but Sport One Kyle they made Sport One Kyle look like Real Madrid in that one match, and it just it was shocked. It, it, it was it, they've been. I'm glad I'm not a supporter in the league because I I would I, I I've been watching this match and I suffered through it like I just don't want to watch it I I even wanted this to to win at the very end because it, it just it was just pissing me off so so much. Now, as for some points, yeah, Santiago should not be a winger. We've already established that, and it's the defensive line is not communicating. I don't know why my tone just shifted there for a second. I should have thought something else, but. Santillan is basically taking Landauri's spot and he's being wasted. He's better when he comes in from behind, overlapping. Uh, that's that's what he does best. He, he doesn't if he's already up there, he's not a dynamic player. He's he's a player that runs from behind and surprises the opponent. And he's very tactical. He's a player that creates that basically he's a player that looks for space while the other the winger is holding up the ball while he overlaps and then wins the ball in an attacking position. That's what he does. And it's not shown here. Uh, Cosillo is not very good at all, but I mean, I I don't really. I'm gonna let you, Christopher, go on to this first, and uh, then I'll give my thoughts about um <laughs> the, the players, the players. I do have something to say about them. I want to hear your thoughts on it first. Oh man, what an interesting match. I mean, I I think I would agree with most of everything you guys have been saying. Uh, yeah, I also believe that that Ivanez shouldn't have been sacked. I think that they were en route to to something coherent. We know that in soccer, 
it's not always the case, but usually with time, if you give a coach time, then a certain style can develop, which hopefully helps the team. And unfortunately, uh, Real Garcilaso, ever ever since they they fired a coach of Arm to the first division uh, in twenty fourteen, have just seemed seemed to to be on that pattern of. You know they miss, they lose a few games and new coach. You know, I mean, like last year alone, they changed coaches a few times. Um, as to well, I, I heard Ramua has maybe he's not doing as well. I would actually say in this game, Ramua was pretty decent compared to some of the other other people. <laughs> that, that yeah, I, I, actually, I, sure. I agree with that. I agree with that. Actually, so, I thought he was the best player on the pitch today for Garcia. for sure. I think I think we should also. Uh, Point out probably uh, Ortiz. I can't remember what his first name is, but nice, I think nice. he had a pretty decent. I think he had a pretty decent performance too, because honestly, there were there was a few of those players that were just terrible, terrible for Garcia. So Mendoza, Arismendi, right? Arismendi, right? Santillan, all people that to me just just had like a honestly a, a horrible, horrible match today. But with all of that said, at the same time, this group is turning out to be a little bit interesting. Um, five points for Real García Lazo, right? Five points for Nacional and five points for Estudiantes. Now, let's do remember that Santos and Nacional do both have, they still have a match to play, right? Between the two of them. And that would will, that will either make it so that Nacional might secure that, that second uh, place in the group uh, as we know, Santos is already qualified, basically, and it's going to be advancing no matter what. Uh, but, you know, I, I kind of wanted to say that maybe there was some hope, considering that Estudiantes and Real Garcilaso both have five points at the moment. But considering that Real Garcilaso is going to be closing, or maybe I'm getting ahead of myself, maybe you're going to talk about this, but considering that they're going to be closing away against Santos, I, I really don't know if there's much hope for them. Like, really... Uh, ho- hopefully they have a decent match away, and somehow a miracle happens where they're able to to get that that second second spot. But because I mean, even uh, even because of goal difference, I really don't see much much happening other than they they're probably out of the out of competition, international competition at this point. No, I, I've lost all hope. I'm not. I I had some hope just because they were in altitude. It's an Argentinian side. But now I've lost the hope. Let's start with the problems of the match. First of all, Jordana Mendoza should never start in a football pitch ever again. I'm, I'm just going to put that right now. I'm just going to be harsh. To never start in a football. I don't know who who told him who, that he can play football. I don't know who told him that. He's, he's football pitch level at best. I saw. I, I actually saw a couple of Peru game earlier today. I saw in the Benetino Lima versus Dulurin. One of the lowest quality matches I've ever seen. I think Jordana Mendoza could have fit in there better. In the Libertadores match, I, I'm being I'm being dead serious here. He's he just I didn't like him at Lau and I don't like him here. So I don't know why he was starting over Luis. I, I don't know if Luis Garcia was injured or anything, but surely he can't be the best midfielder they have. I mean, another another issue is they don't have a forward. I mean, Oscar Franco he scores a few goals in the league, but that's all he's done. Uh, he's I mean he's good enough for the league. He's not good enough for the Libertadores. I I hardly even notice him. And let's put it this way. Just because you look like Oscar Cardoso does not mean you're a good player. <laughs> and um, wow. Diego Mayora is, uh, my, my father actually told me about this, that Diego Mayora, in his opinion, is the new Jose Choro, and I can't disagree. He's terrible. <laughs> he is terrible. 
And um, uh, the other, the only saving grace in this match was Ortiz, as he said, and Ramoa. Even Gustavo Lulanto, who we rated for a long time, and we still rate him. We still think he's a good player. We'll wait on to that for a second. But even him, he didn't look very motivated. He didn't look like he wanted, he wanted to play. So that's another question with Tavares Silva. Now, I do kind of feel bad for these players. And I know it's the lazy journalist excuse to absolve blame from players that are being targeted. But I generally do believe, and this applies for Alianza as well, I generally do believe that it's not entirely their fault. I mean, they're being told to do something. But when the manager is so tactically inept, then what can you do? Uh, I mean... They're told to mark certain players in a way that's really disorganized. So that's in itself is Tavares Silva's fault. Maybe the communication might be a problem with the players, but I mean, it, it's it's a co- I, it's no coincidence that the, the communication gets worse after a certain manager got sacked. So I, I do think that's on Tavares Silva as well. And then um, then as for they have no attacking plan, which is also not their fault. Uh, it looks like the, they're not poorly. It looks like they're poorly trained. I mean. Every time we get a first touch, they need to take an extra touch just to make sure the ball's on the ground. So the first touches have also been awful. So I do kind of feel bad for these players. It looks like they don't have much to work with. So, um, like I said, I do think the Garcilaso kind of, in, uh, the owners are kind of feeling some pressure. I'm going to say, yes, lesson learned. That's lesson learned. But I do also think that Tavares Silva needs to go because there's nothing, there's just nothing going for it right now. Uh, do you guys agree with that, Peter? Do you think Tavares Silva needs to go? Yes, but, you know, I want to go back to Christopher's point that he mentioned so astutely, and this is classic Peruvian mentality. When things start to go wrong, people, just in general, it's not just in football, it's not just in in, in sport, it's just in general. When things aren't going a certain way or the way that they would like it to be going in, they lose patience and then make snap rash decisions. And Garci Lasso, as Christopher mentioned, they've been guilty of this year after year after year. And Ibanez comes in. Okay, sure, the, the league form was a bit patchy, but in the Libertadores, he had them in a position that where they could actually qualify. They did very well in that home game against Santos. Yes, they got blown out away in the Sudiantes, but they were still very much in a position to qualify. And I think that if Ibanez stuck with it, this team would actually have, I would estimate maybe seven, eight points at, the, at this stage and would actually be on course to qualify. Um, and since Silva's come in, as I mentioned, um, and of course for all the reasons you mentioned as well, Brian, um, there's no progress after nine games. I, you know, you have to cut your losses and say, we made a mistake. We got to get him out. But Garcia Lasso, they cannot afford to be this impatient. And that goes with many, many other clubs. Um, and I know we'll mention them in a while, but you, in a way you admire Alianza for not just you know firing Mengochea and and just you know hiring some random coach you do have to give them some credit for that but there are also situations when you do need to make a change even if it might not look great and you're admitting that you got it wrong which they clearly did um yeah I I I would agree that he has to go because they're getting worse and the players are suffering as a result and Dulanto especially someone who we all had on our Peru squads might not get in as a result, and that's really unfortunate. And Santillan, someone who I had in my squad as a potential option at left back, might not even get in either or won't even get a sniff of that squad if he continues to play somewhat out of position as a winger and not being very effective at all. No, I, I agree. Um, Gustavo Lantos probably going to lose his chance now uh, to Adrian Sela, I would say. 
because I mean, what what can he even do? I mean, he's he's being told to mark certain players. I mean, you can see his quality when he plays, but you can also see he's not motivated. I mean, today I just didn't see him want to play, and that's not something I ever saw with Ivanjevic because or Navarro for that matter. So he's he's looking like he was at his old at, at, at Lau when he used to play there. He wasn't very good back then, but he was still like 19, 18 years old. So yeah, I, I mean, what what can you, what I mean, what can you do? This is. It, it's no coincidence that this is the, or it's a coincidence, I guess, that this is his worst form in two years, and it's got to be down to the coach. Now, but it's still, it should, should be mentioned that he's already been at Regal and he failed last time too. Yeah. So it's clearly it's not a good coach at all. But it's um, yeah, it is shocking. As for the Nacional four now, it's I mean, at, we we basically talked about both games in one, except there they actually could see before goals, and I tactically analyzed the game. Uh, yes, defensive was shocking. The communication was shocking. But again, there's no want, there's no need, or there is no, there's no spirit in the game. I mean, just look at the third goal that Nacional score. There are three players around. I think it was Rodriguez or Fernandez. I forget who it was. It was I think it was uh, Sebastián Fernandez or something. Now uh, for Nacional, he he got the pass. He got a long ball from I don't know who it was, but he 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 got a long ball from somebody inside the box. There are three Real Garcia players around them. And not one, not one, try to close him down. Not one player tried to close him down, and he just made the pass to Barcia who got the goal. So it, it, I, I don't see any motivation here. I mean, they were two 0 down, yeah, but that's no reason to concede more. I mean, you could have at least try to close him down and try to avoid the goal. I mean, you gotta give it your all, no matter what. I mean, another example of this, and this is not a proven example, but Mexico and Chile, they didn't look motivated off to the third goal. I remember that match very clearly. So. Yeah, it, it looked like that's exactly the same example I'm using here. I just don't get it. So, Christopher, do you think Gustavo Silva should go, or do you think they, they need to afford being impatient? Well, this is this might be the randomest comment ever, but honestly, being a, uh, a soccer coach, a professional soccer coach right now in Peru must be both the best and the worst profession ever because the, because they, they fired, I, I mean, I feel like at least half the league just got rid of their coaches the second that, that this Torneo de Verano, uh, you know, closed. And all of a sudden, we are everybody scrambling for, for coaches. Um, now, like I, like I said last week, too, uh, some, sometimes the leaders of these teams, the team owners, right, the, the leaders that are supposed to be looking for these new coaches, they're thinking short-term, I need to get someone to fix this situation right now. And they feel like they just need to, like, it's their responsibility to fix the team. The, the best way that a, that a leader, that a team, that a team president can really help their team is through making sure that there is a clear style of play and that the coaches that they hire follow that style of play. To me, at least, that's the key, right? So Garcia Lasso needs to decide, really, okay, what, are, what, are, what do we want to be like these next two or three years? And if they feel like Tabaré is the kind of person that can continue in that direction, even if he's having bad results at the moment, then he should stay. Now, obviously, with them being a team from Cusco and having that altitude advantage and whatnot, they they, they need to look for someone else. Uh, I think I think that Tabaré is not a, is not a good match. Uh, and now, then the question would be like, who who could replace him? Uh, that's going to be interesting. Who's going to be willing to go down down there, knowing the history of the of how the leaders uh, 
guide this team and, and decide to take over for the Apertura. Yeah, and another, and this could be a very risky move, but you could also hire someone from a very local uh, place. I wouldn't hire Checho Ibarra, for example, who just got sacked at Cinciano, uh, rightly so. I mean, they, they only gave him three games, but, I mean, I, I wasn't bored of that decision. I think nothing was going their way with that. But you could also try to hire maybe someone on Deportivo Garcilaso, maybe someone who has a good style of play, because I don't believe, I mean, yeah, he's got to have a good uh, resume, of course, but... You also, you also, I think with managers, it's a bit different because I think with managers, you really got to see what fits his style the most and if he's going to be respected, of course, which might not be the case. You can also bring on someone from the club, which is kind of a 50-50. I mean, it could work. It might not, but it's, um, it's, you, it's, you all, it's all gamble. You know they should bring, they should bring uh, Freddy Petróleo García back. <laughs> yeah, the, I, I think honestly, so too, but I think, honestly, I, I think he's happy in Alfonso Guarta right now, so... But honestly, though, who knows the identity of that club better than he? You know, and it's it's been a few years now. I mean, I mentioned him a second ago, not by name, but why not? Yeah, no, it's it, I, I I I can't disagree with that actually, but we'll see we'll see. Uh, Alfonso, well, I guess we're gonna see us pay better on Alfonso Guarte, who are who's he's with the who's, club right now. So right. Yeah, no, it's it's all on him, I think, if he's willing to go back. But I, I'm sure he will. I'm I'm sure he has the soft spot for the club. So, of course. Yeah, let's talk about Alianza Lima now, who are better than Real Garcia. So, I mean, I know it's easy to pick on them because they're from Lima, but uh, they're they're better than Real Garcia. So, put it that way. Uh, the Real Garcia is one of the worst teams in Peru right now, and Alianza Lima are one of the most frustrating sides. But I wouldn't say they're one of the worst. I would say they're just frustrating and. Their style, along with some of their players, just don't cut it at the Libertadores level. So, uh, Christopher, I'll let you go first again. What do you uh, think on Alianza versus Palmeiras tomorrow? Yeah, well, it's going to be the same thing that we saw in Colombia. Unfortunately, that, that Colombia game, uh, I don't know. I, I, I kind of kind of like what, what we were talking about a second ago. I, I just didn't, I didn't even see the light in their eyes, really. It was kind of, you know, uh, yeah, let's... Let's just go out there and see what we can do, and you know, there's there didn't seem to be any any excitement to to play to to defend the colors really, and the, I I think they just need to try to have an honorable rest of uh, the you know Libertadores participation. I'm not I'm not expecting much uh, from from Alianza Lima uh, tomorrow, honestly. Well, what's the point? I mean. We're just gonna see the same thing we've always seen. Uh, they're, they're, I'm hoping at best they can get a draw. I mean, that's definitely possible. But they perform like they did against Junior in the home game. It's not gonna happen. Uh, as for, uh, I guess I almost forgot about the away game at Junior. Um, I thought it was a lot better than. Uh, I, I thought it was a. Uh, it was, I thought it was a nailed on nail nail. But they got the, they they allowed that one chance off a free kick. They kind of got distracted for a second, and there was the goal from Luis Carlos Ruiz of all players. But it um it was a much it was a much bigger improvement than the the home game. I thought Bengo Chia lost the match as soon as he took Cabello off. Uh, Cabello was their only attacking threat, really. Cabello, uh, I'm Posito, okay. Cabello, <laughs> <laughs> was the best player of the match for sure for Alianza Lima. He's the only one who showed that offensive threat, and he was defending as well. So I thought the second he took him off, it was very fitting that. 
Allianz conceded because that I mean some of the subs were laughable again. Some of the decisions from Mingo Chell were absolutely laughable. Uh, I don't remember the other subs. I just remember those two subs, Cabello and Posito. Uh, I mean, Posito, I mean, you could argue he's not Libertadores level, but he's better than Leyes. Let's be fair. I mean, he's going to get a lot of criticism for being at this club, but he's he's going to score a local level and he's going to flop at Libertadores level. I mean, that's clear. That's clear. And uh, I, I still think he should be the starting choice because he's the best they have. You know, you're also not going to bring in some 15 year old to play for them either. So I think he should start, but. Uh, like I said, taking Kivedo off was the real mistake here. Peter, would you agree? Yes, absolutely. Um, I know some pointed out that maybe he wasn't like impactful per se, but I think that had more to do with the tactics and the fact that Junior was dominating. Uh, every time he got on the ball, I agree with you, he was a threat. That's why they had to foul him constantly. I could be wrong. I think he was the most foul player in the game for both teams, um, which shows just how kind of how threatening he was. All I'm really looking for, and I mean, you guys all mentioned great points, no doubt about it. If we continue to repeat them, people are not going to tune in anymore because we're going to keep saying the right. same thing over and over again. Yeah, um, basically. But the one thing I really want to see eventually happen, whoever the coach is with Alianza, find a settled 11, for the love of God. Like, <laughs> he keeps <laughs> changing he keeps changing the fullbacks. He keeps changing the wingers. He keeps changing the striker. Like, how is Anio Posito supposed to get consistency when he's given one start to impress? And, of course, because of the tactics, he's isolated. So he, he gets taken off and then doesn't start for three games in a row. I mean, that's the only way he's going to, to find that consistency is if he plays, and, of course, in the right system as well. Um, and, and, I mean, they bring in Jose uh, Guirino, who's supposed to be like that stalwart fullback that they were missing last year. He has been starting a little bit more recently, but even he isn't getting a run of games. Um, and to me, he's probably their best option on either side. Um, so hopefully he keeps getting a run of games there. And uh, the one thing I will say about the, the game that, um, of course, against Junior, uh, Angelo Campos, even though it was kind of weird that Prieto was benched just for one poor game, which again shows the, the impatience of Peruvian football, um, Campos was very good. Probably the man of the match along with Miguel Araujo, uh, I thought. So he deserves credit for that and maybe even deserves another start. Who knows? Um, but yeah, that's basically all I have to say because frankly, if I say anything more, I'm going to be beating a dead horse. So with that, I will yeah. pass it back over to you, Brian. Yeah, no, I also wanted to mention that besides Quevedo, the best attacker was Luis Garro. So yeah, just let that sink in. Luis Garro was the best attacker <laughs> on that night. So <laughs> it was great too. Just <laughs> let that sink in, though. Just let that sink in, though. Luis Garro was the best in life for Alianza. He was the only one creating danger, and it wasn't even that much danger. But at the very least, at least they looked organized. At least they looked organized. It just they were just dropping way too deep, and that's that gave Junior all the chances. The midfield is also non-existent. Now I will disagree with you on one thing, Peter, because I do think Alianza has kind of gotten the grip of their of the starting lineup. This starting lineup is the one that started the past few matches. So I think they've kind of gotten a grip on it, but yeah, yeah, no, yeah, no, it's uh, it, it is laughable. I don't, I don't understand it, and um, yeah, it, it's weird that it's weird that they keep on doing this uh, on the streams. Pause. I hope this nothing bad, Christopher. I'll let you go on to this and finish the point. Uh, I just gotta fix this, and I, I fixed it, but I already gave it to you. So when you finish, <laughs> no, I, I think there's nothing more to say. I mean. Like, uh, if, if anything, one hopes that the fans will still 
show their love for the team and, and, and show up to the match because there's nothing that's worse than seeing the Peruvian champion with so much history play at an empty stadium. I think that's they, just sad. They, they won't because the tickets are really expensive to see their team that's already been knocked out. So yeah, I, that, I that, is, I that is also true. That is also true. That is something that the organization well. have taken into consideration too. Uh, but but yeah, I mean, it's going to be sad, you know, uh, to to see an empty stadium. We'll see how thing, things go. And, and also, you know, you, you think that we, there should be such a high point. I mean, it's Palmeiras for heaven's sakes, you know. It's, it's one yeah. of the big ones in Brazil, yeah. you know. But unfortunately, it probably won't be that way. So, um yeah, a draw here, and then they're going to go to, to uh, Argentina for Argentina for the match against Boca, and there isn't much there to to expect either. Well, uh, little, little, little caveat, guys. Uh, that is Paulo Guerrero's future club, Palmeiras, for you, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, he's going to Boca. We all know that. So, so, no, no, Racing. He's going to Racing. Racing. He's going to, oh, he's going to we'll Palmeiras. To, we'll get on to that in a second. I actually do have a comment about... Uh, Guerrero to Palmeiras, but no, uh, Alianza, they, they, they're, we're gonna, we're not gonna talk about it anymore because we're just gonna sound like a broken record. And I'm kind of praying that Libertadores just ends just for this pod because it's, it's, it's the same thing. We'll talk about the same thing every single week. I mean, you can, you can listen to the last four pods and you won't notice any difference between them. So, yeah, no, it's, I do want to say one more thing that in Lima it's really expensive. This is something you can relate to, Christopher, because you're from Wallace, but right. in Lasso, the tickets are incredibly cheap. Uh, I'm pretty sure my Lay stack chips, I'm pretty sure those are more expensive than Regar Silaso's cheapest tickets. So, <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's in provinces, everything is a, is a gift. Whereas in Lima, everything is it's crazy expensive for the country. So I, I guess it makes sense, especially how, how Lima-centric it is, but just makes you wish you lived in provinces instead. Yeah. So, yeah. anyways, let's move, before we move on to the questions, uh, we want to talk about Paulo Guerrero. You guys think he's going for Palmeiras or not? Because I think this is an excuse. I, this is just an assumption, a personal hunch. I think this is just an excuse so they can play Orico Rural, who's a Brazilian. What do you think, Peter? I think that's a massive conspiracy conspiracy theory. Excuse me, I can't speak anymore. <laughs> um, no, I mean, look, we all know about the contract standstill. He wants a three-year contract, which at 34 years old is pretty hefty. Let's be honest. doesn't matter how good you are. And he's asking for close to about, I think it's a little over $3 million a year, um, which I know is, I think it's a bit less than what he's getting now, but he also wants a reimbursement on the lost wages during his suspension. Um, and I mean, look, again, as great as he is, as as dedicated as he is to Flamengo, um, look, I will say this. The only reason why I think that theory is, and no offense, Brian, complete you-know-what, is <laughs> if they really wanted to play him, then why were they entering negotiations with Pablo Guerrero? Why didn't they release him even if he was suspended? Or why didn't they just basically say, okay, listen, your contract's expiring in August. We don't care. We want to play this guy. We want to play that guy. Then we're just going to let your contract run out. We're not going to negotiate with you. Find another club. Um, the fact that they were still negotiating with him even up to a week ago basically says to me that they definitely want to play him. Um, but Guerrero and his representatives, I think, are playing a little bit of hardball, and that's why you're seeing the Palmeiras link. That's why you saw the Racing link a few weeks back. Um, yes, Diego Molito apparently spoke to his representatives, but at the same time, 
is it also a negotiating ploy to get Flamengo to basically give in to what he wants? And I'm sure he'll eventually end up settling, maybe take a two-year deal at maybe slightly less money and maybe won't take the reimbursement on the wages because I'm sure he doesn't really need them, let's be honest. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that that's basically nothing. I, I think a contract will get done eventually. Um, and if it does happen, I don't think he's going to stay in Brazil because he did say he doesn't want to play for another rival of Flamengo. So I think, and much to the... Uh, happiness and excitement of Fox Sports Argentina, he might actually end up going to Argentina finally, <laughs> which I'm sure would be a lifelong dream for them to see their favorite non-Argentinian play in Argentina. Well, that was just a personal hunch of mine. I really just wanted to get that out. Now let's uh, go to the, before we go to the one Kyo game, why don't we go to the questions, Peter? We had two questions. We did. We did yeah. indeed. Um, uh, one, 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 I think Christopher is, uh, could answer it uh, better than us. So why don't you read the okay. Uh, the football manager one first. Okay, so here it is. Uh, so Rob Gilman at Torino Blogger asked us, um, basically they had a random question. He's currently enjoying a game of football manager as Alianza Lima and came across Atletico Torino in the second division. Oh, now, boy. I don't suppose you know whether their name and the maroon shirts are a tribute to Torino in Syria or just a coincidence. So that, Christopher, I can see you're very excited to answer. So what, what, what did you want to say? Oh, man. Atletico Torino is known in Peru as el rey de copas, the king of cups, because in the history of their club, they have won six different Copa Peru tournaments since the 1960s. Now, they are a team from the northern region of Peru, from Piura. And if I am not mistaken, yes, they were inspired uh, as uh, from from the club Torino in, in, our, in Italy. Uh, but there is not much of a connection other than that. In fact, if I'm not mistaken, their mascot is actually a, a gas tank. So <laughs> other than other than the name, yeah, they're not a bull or anything, a gas tank. I can't hear. <laughs> because they're, they're from a region of Peru that, that produces uh, natural gas and petroleum. So obviously that's that's why that that's that. Uh, and I man, it's been a while since I last read their history. But yes, they were inspired by by the team in in Italy, and it might have been because uh, some of the original owners of the petroleum refineries and whatnot were probably from from Italy, and the company workers decided to make that team uh, back in like the the forties, fifties. Yeah, I just I just quickly looked it up, and they are indeed a uh, they are indeed uh, inspired by it, and uh, this this is another. Personal hunch, I mean, full of conspiracy theories today, but they were found 10 years after the plane crash, so maybe that could have something to do with it, although 10 years is a long time, so right. you, know, you never know, you never know. Uh, Peter, what is the second question we got? Yes, so more related to actually literally what we just spoke about. So almost would have been a perfect segue if maybe we started with that question. But anyway, um, Abel Gamarra at Abelanda81 asked us, what do you think about the court of arbitration for sport decision will be in regards to Paulo Guerrero? If the worst case scenario occurs and he is going to miss the World Cup, uh, then who would take his spot? Um, I will get it started, I guess, and I'll throw it out to you guys. I would imagine the same two options we saw in the friendlies in Jefferson Farfan as a false nine or Raul Ruiz up top as the lone striker. Would you guys agree with that? Yeah, no, I agree with that for sure. I, I can't say no whole lot about the whole case issue. I'm not great with football politics. So I'll let you two go on with that case. But in terms of actual replacements, I think what we've been seeing now has been working uh, very well. The, the games he hasn't 
I mean, we all feel the worst. We all thought it was a one-man team, but we, we can all see that everyone's working hard right now. Everyone's working hard to win that position. It's not El Guerrero. Guerrero is just the one that uh, is best to have when we go all go down. I mean, he's the best He's the best player to have to create a reaction if we're one goal down. So I think that's the main worry we should have. But as for actual quality on the pitch, I think of Farfano Ruidias, we're not, we're not doing it too badly. We're not... We'll miss him, yes, but we're not going to miss him as much as we thought. Uh, just as we go, go down, I think we'll miss him a lot. So that's just my personal opinion. Christopher, what do you think? Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, we, we've had about four matches without him, right? The two from against New Zealand and then the two friendlies that we just saw uh, about a month ago. And, and then Bolivia, the, well, and, Oh, that's true. And then there was against Bolivia just because of, uh, of yellow card accumulation. And... And, and that's the thing, because first of all, you have a, a one end of the spectrum, Bolivia, which is basically the crappiest team in South America. And then you have Croatia on the other side of the spectrum, which is one, you could argue, one of the better teams in, in Europe. And and the national team has shown that we do not have a Guerrero dependency, right? And that I think that's important. It means that the, the team is flexible enough to accommodate themselves and to to be able to accomplish important things even if Guerrero's not on the pitch, which is something that, for example, Argentina could not say, right? And maybe maybe even Portugal would not be able to say that either. You know, they I think Argentina has a, a huge Messi dependency, and Portugal also sees uh, Cristiano Ronaldo as kind of like uh, the team captain and, and kind of like their, the, the, the card that they can use when, when things get difficult. Um, now, as for when it comes to to the to the law side of things, uh, the argument is this: to me, the the basic premise is there was a positive result, right? When when he he took the test, there was a something came up, right? And so the question is, is he responsible for that or not? Like, up to what point is he responsible? It's not whether he did drugs or not. It's been proving that he he did not do drugs, right? But it's, even then, isn't the player still responsible for what enters his body? And was he cautious enough or not? Now, obviously, uh, there his defense has been good enough so far that they have been able to convince FIFA first one year, which was already a short sentence, and then six months, which is almost as short as you can have it, right? Uh, now, I think that to try to go as far and to say, okay... The, the TAS uh, is going to completely just going to get rid of this. I, I think that it's a little too much because you cannot ignore, ignore the fact that there still was a substance that shouldn't have been there, no matter what. Uh, and so because of that, uh, what I'm hoping or what I'm, what I'm thinking really is that they will probably leave it at that as to not make things worse with a WADA, W-A-D-A. Uh, and so... I think that we will probably see if every, everything goes well, uh, Paolo returned to play for Flamenco, and we will also see him at the friendly against Scotland. Peter, uh, what are your thoughts? I do agree with Christopher. That is actually the whole sort of issue. Wada launched the appeal because, as he said, um, the player at the end of the day is responsible for what he consumes and what he puts into his body. Now, we heard the appeal that, oh, he drank tea that was brewed in a contaminated pot. Um, and they're going to continue proving that. They actually used um, 
what was a very interesting defense to actually get the FIFA uh, appeal reduced to six months. I, I, you just Google it. Uh, the New Yorker had an article on it. It was amazing. Um, I won't spoil it too much. But I, I think that, he, look, he's eligible Thursday from the initial ban, which is May 3rd. That's the day of the appeal. We'll find out around 10 a.m. Eastern, possibly uh, what the final verdict is. I don't suspect a lot on anything to it because he served six months um, and law experts basically said, look, it's much more difficult to convince FIFA to reduce a ban than it is for Cass. So if FIFA reduces it and they ruled out cocaine use um, and they believe this defense of the whole contaminated pot theory and that, oh, it can stay in your system for a long time, I think he'll be fine. Um, and same thing with, with the players, Brian. Um, I think Peru has actually done really well since he's gone down. And they've honestly not really skipped much of a beat. Obviously, it'd be great if they had him for obvious reasons. But if they lost him, it wouldn't be as tragic as maybe Peruvians once thought. So that's the good news. For sure. Now, uh, we'll, we'll start running out of time. So what do we uh, – we have two more topics to talk about. Uh, first, the preview of the final, Sport One Kaya versus Sporting Cristal. I'll go back to you, Peter. What do you think of this final? Who do you think are well, maybe not favorites. The favorites are Cristal, but who do you? Who are your favorites to win this? Well, see, initially when the final was made, I thought, okay, this was Cristal's final to lose, mm-hmm. and I still technically think it is. But I'm starting to talk myself into a into a Wangayo win here, and the reason for that is, um, well variety of factors the first one being the first leg is at home with the altitude advantage um and the second leg is going to be i believe it's at a Estadio nacional so for that reason look Estadio nacional is kind of a venue where obviously the big events happen there's a sense of you know there's an aura about it uh so the wankayo players and the entire team will be motivated for that reason and on top of that cristal has not really played a meaningful match in a few weeks because they wrapped up the group a long time ago. Whereas Juan Cayo went to the final day against Melgada at home and basically played with 100% intensity from game one to game 14. So for that reason, um, I would probably say that Juan Cayo has the advantage in that way because they've been basically playing, you know, at 100% for well, the entire tournament. Um, not to mention, I think, Cristal's group was wildly inconsistent. I think this will be the best team that they face. Um, yeah. Brian is a Grioni disciple. You will probably agree with me on this. <laughs> they are probably the most balanced side in the country. I think they have a little more pace about them, especially in midfield compared to Cristal, although it hasn't really affected them too much. But we've seen, particularly in the games against Lanús and Universitario on the final day, that they are susceptible to counters out wide. I mean, when Juan Manuel Vargas has a very good game against you, that's probably a bit of an issue. Um, (laughs) And I think the key will be the wings because not only are Cristal susceptible to that, but they also have some very good wingers in their own right. And Flavio Gomez, uh, Gabriel Costa, who of course drifts all around the place. Johan Madrid and Jair Céspedes are fantastic. And Juan Cayo, we all know about, you know, Cleque, Corrales, um, obviously Marcos Yuya, who plays centrally, but you get my point. Fantastic player. And a battle of the two top scorers in, in the league, and Herrera and uh, and Delman. So, yeah, should be a fantastic final. But I am probably thinking mm-hmm. Juan Cayo maybe just edges this. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think Juan Cayo is going to win as well. Uh, Cristal have a few weaknesses. They look fantastic on the offense, and if they can stop uh, them, if they can stop, well, in a way, it won't matter. It's um, if, if I'll go on to this rule in a second, but 
basically whoever if you win the first match uh one nil and then cristal wins the second match eight nil goes to penalties no matter what so they had this kind of rule back in like 2013 but it wasn't to penalties they go to a third match which i think is a lot better because it's if you win one nil and then eight nil then the second match then that, that, that there should be a winner clearly on aggregate but that's kind of how it works it's kind of a stupid rule but that's how they decided to do it so we're gonna have to uh, go with that now uh, I wanted to say that both teams have their duels. duels. There's Yuya Neumann in Huancayo, uh, and there's Costa and Herrera in Cristal. And one weakness that Peter did not mention for Cristal, yes, they are kind of susceptible on the counter, but I think their biggest weakness is set pieces because set pieces they've conceded a lot. I, I don't know how, I don't have an exact number, but uh, a good example, the, the Lanús game was basically lost in set pieces. They, lost, they conceded two goals, two silly goals at the end of both matches. Both from set pieces that cost them the game. Then there's set pieces they conceded against Utese, for example. And with how many, with players like Neumann who can really threaten on set pieces, that's going to be a problem with Cristal. It's been, it's really been a problem. Pato Alvarez has not done a good job organizing his defense at the very back. So I think that's going to be a problem. And yeah, I'm excited to see this match. One guy were kind of an undervalued squad. There are other good players like Ricardo Salcedo. There is a Joel Pinto who's kind of getting on now, but he's been very undervalued throughout his career. And um, of course, there's there's two center backs who I I, I forgot their names now, but they're pretty good. Uh, I I know that sounds silly, but I I do know who they are. I just I just can't so, remember who their names was. Cayo. Yes, please. I'm just gonna go over the squad with you. Pinto, Cleque, Salinas, Delgado, Corrales, Rojas. Yeah, no, no, Colombo. Colombo's one of them. Yeah, I, I completely forgot about it. But yeah, Colombo is one of them. And like I said, they're both both of them are solid. But I think their fullbacks are a little better. I think Cleque and Corrales are their uh, two fullbacks right now, and they're both they're both solid. Corrales in particular, I really like. And uh, yeah, Yuya and Neumann are going to be the two key players here, as is Herrera and uh, I must say Gomez. Gomez is going to be key as well. Uh, but um, it's going to be Gomez and uh, Costa. Costa, who has improved a lot this season. And Flavio Gomez has really surprised me. He's uh, he's basically completely benched Fernando Pacheco, who we thought was going to be kick off immediately, but he's been really frustrating instead. Christopher, what do you think of this final? Who do you who do you pick as your favorites here? Well I'm you guys might be leaning more towards Wancayo, but I'm I think I'm actually leaning more towards Cristal. Uh it is an interesting system, right? The fact that Wancayo can win one, Cristal can win the other, and then we would go to penalties. I think obviously that is a huge mistake. Something that, that we always always complain about improving soccer, that we need some consistency on how the league should be played so that it doesn't confuse the fans. Uh, but with that said, and the fact that, you know, they Cristal won their group weeks ago, I know that they haven't had any high-profile matches, or at least they hadn't. And then there was this Universitario against Cristal this weekend, 3-2-3 three three match, wonderful match, by the way, mm-hmm. for all of for those that didn't have the chance to watch it, it was, I, I honestly thought it was an, a great match to watch. And it shows you this this Cristal side that even though has they have some older players that have been questioned in the past, uh, I'm, uh, I'm obviously talking about Reboredo. <laughs> uh, but, <laughs> and Casulo. Uh, and Casulo. I mean, even Loba. I mean, like, everybody loves Lobatón, but, you know, he's getting up there in age. But the, the fact that... He, that they're not like super subs, but that 
that the the coach has been able to integrate him so well into the team and really make a cohesive team out of this. Uh, and with the fact that you have Emmanuel Herrera, who has more goals in the league than what he's played matches, I think that it's not unrealistic for them to say that they can go and 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 tie in Huancayo. I don't think it's that hard. I don't think they're going to win 3-0, right? Even winning might be hard. But tying 0-0 or tying 1-1 or even 2-2, I think it wouldn't be that surprising. I think they kind of shown that they can, that when it comes to final, they can hold their own. own. I mean, especially when, when uh, like the times that they've had to play against Melgar in the final, Cristal, uh, which has some, the, the team this year, it's not exactly the same from pre- the same from previous years, but it has some of those same players. Has shown that they can hold their own, even uh, when they're playing altitude. So considering that, and then bringing Huancayo from from the city, Huancayo uh, City, down to Lima, I think that Cristal can 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 beat them uh, in the second leg. So so honestly, I I I think like you said, I would agree that Newman. And the um, Yuya are are important players for Oncayo. I think they're going to be important for this, but I I don't just don't see him really going over uh, this Gabriel Salas uh, Cristal side. Yeah, no, I am. Um, I kind of I can kind of see where you're going where they can get a draw in Oncayo. I I've said in the past that Oncayo is a fortress. The style of is a fortress. And I stand by that they're very strong at home, but they're not quite as strong as they were last season. I think this season they're kind of a bit weaker than they were uh, last year at home. But I still think they're I still think they're good. They're good enough at home to be able to get a result. So that's my this is my personal opinion on it. So yeah, we're with ten minutes left. So let's talk about the last bit we want to talk about. The Liga MX season has come to an end for Peruvians. Well, for almost all of them, the only ones that are there: Rui Diaz and Rice and Noal. The rest are they're done. Pedro Aquino's in Lima now. He's a uh, He's in La Videna training right now, and Luisa Drinkula should be joining him soon. I wanted to ask you guys, uh, besides Rui Diaz, who we're obviously going to say is the best Peruvian, most of us are anyways, who was the best Who was the best Peruvian in Mexico? I'm going to go with Santa Maria. I think Aquino, I, I love Aquino. I think he had a great first start to the season, but he kind of got worse as time went on. As Lobos got worse. And um, I don't think it's entirely his fault that the players around him just weren't that great. But... Uh, Aquino should be back in Monterrey next season. He should be playing. And yeah, I think him and Santa Maria were probably the two best. Even, uh, I just think Santa Maria just edges it just because Aquino kind of had a poor second half of the season. Peter, you're, you're a Peruvian abroad guy. Who do you think had the best part of the season? I mean, Santa Maria, after returning from Peru duty, was awful. And he got suspended twice. One for a red card, one for yellow card accumulation. And he looked a little off the pace. Now, I wonder if maybe he was fatigued or injured. That's very possible. We know Aquino was injured towards the end. That's why uh, he returned to Peru immediately because he had a minor adductor injury. And that, I think, contributed to... I mean, I necessarily don't think he was poor towards the end of the season. I think he was still just fine. But you could see that when he was you know, having to, to go into a full sprint, he didn't look the same. And in a couple of those games, you could see him favoring his inner thigh and his groin. Um, now we know why, because he was obviously dealing with it, but not to the point that I think it completely hindered his performance. In terms of who I think was the best player, I think it was Aquino personally. Advincula was not great to start the season. I didn't think Santa Maria was particularly great in the final month. Mind you, he only played three games due to suspension, as I mentioned. And I still think that Aquino, despite the injury, was still very, very good. I think uh, he had 
a couple of fantastic showings for Lobos. Um, and I mean, Ruidias, I think is outright probably was the best, but if I had to pick another one, it probably will be Aquino because the rest of them were just either inconsistent or dealt with runs of form at not so ideal times. We also got to consider that some of the teams they play for, most of them play for small teams. I mean, Gomez, was, I didn't think was that bad to begin no. with. I think he was ill-disciplined, and I think they were being harsh with him at the time. I, he clearly didn't show up to training or something like that because for them to hate them so much, I mean, there's, there's got to be something wrong with that uh, in that right there. Uh, yeah, I, I think uh, Avila was also quite good from what I've seen. Uh, uh, he's, there's rumors of him going back to Peru, but... There are some people who mentioned that there are some people who are sticking up for him. There's some people who think that in our Mexican team should pick him up, and that wouldn't be a bad idea. I, mean, I don't think it'll be a big team because I don't think he's quite the big team player. But he did all right. He, he I don't think he was that bad before, which is kind of weird because Lobos uh, they had some players who performed and others who just didn't, and I think that was the ultimate their ultimate downfall. Actually, their downfall was that Cruz Azul was some good luck at the beginning of the season. But besides, <laughs> besides the point. Oh gosh. Anyway, Christopher, what are you? What, what are your thoughts on this? So, I, I'm going to throw a curveball in there, and I'm not, I'm actually going to say Galese. I know I know that he was out and injured. I mean, he he had a few. He had some time off. I mean, about what, like half half the of this uh, Clausura tournament, he was out, right? But the fact that he, I think that the fact that he he was doing really well before the injury, right, and then. He came back for the very last game, and he had a, he had a really decent game. It kind of shows his level, it shows his skill level, and it shows that it was so, someone he's someone reliable. I mean, when he's not injured, that he's someone reliable that can can uh, give you that security that Veracruz, who has been fighting in the in the lower parts of the table for the last few seasons, uh, needs. You know, so they relied on him, and while he's been he's been there. He's been doing pretty well, and if anything, I think that's kind of what one should look for uh, in someone that you're bringing from abroad, some some consistency, and I think Alessia shows that consistency even when he is out for weeks at a time, he comes back, and he's still consistent. Uh, in the other hand, I do blame a little bit. Obviously, three players out of a whole squad, you know, you can't blame the three Peruvians at Lobos Wap for, for what happened with the team this season. But, you know, when, like I said, when you're a player that's coming from abroad, there is an extra, you know, just a little bit more responsibility than if you're just a, a player from, from the domestic league. Uh, and so, I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to blame him, but I, none of them really, like, showed off their skill and shine to me at Bob. I think they all had kind of regular performances. And so, therefore, you know, I think that maybe... That was kind of at the at the low end of the of the spectrum when it comes to Peruvians abroad in Mexico. Well, okay. Before I end the part, I just want to say one more thing that uh, I think Casa. We all thought he took a poor decision, but he it looks like he kind of saved himself because he did mention uh, I think a week ago that that might have been his last his very last match for Deportivo Municipal. Uh, yeah. So he he could be going back to Mexico soon, and his team has stayed up. So. Assuming Alessi goes to a better club, uh, we'd assume that Casa is the new goalkeeper. Uh, kind of, kind of like, kind of like leaving his brain there, leaving a legacy there, improving goalkeepers. So yeah, that's gonna end the, the pod for today. My my name is B underscore Bertie ninety eight on Twitter. Uh, Christopher, what is your Twitter? 
I'm Christopher Viscardo, and it's at V-I-Z underscore F-C. And Peter, how about you? Uh, I'm Peter Galindo. My Twitter handle is at GalindoPW, and follow the show slash website at Peru Waltz. Well, thank you for listening, and tune in next week. Corrubiños en el arco, la defensa es colosal. González, Orlando, La Torre, Nicolás, Fuentes y Chumpitas. Chalemifrin y Cubillas y el gran Perico León. Bailón y Alberto Gallardo completan la selección.